Well, uh, one, of my, one of my earliest memories, one of my earliest memories was when I was four years old. And uh, I, was, I was sleeping in my bedroom. And I, uh, I woke up because I had like this scary dream. It was a nightmare. I don't really remember exactly what it was, but I was scared enough to walk down the hall uh, and actually knock on my parents' door. Um, and some of you have done this in the past where like, you know, maybe when you were really young, you got scared, so you, so you talked to your parents. And so I went down the hall, knocked on their door, and, uh, and I said, hey, I had a scary dream. I don't really want to go back uh, to the room. Um, can, I, can I sleep here? And, uh, and so, again, I was four, so I was a little bit too big to, like, fit in the bed. So what they did was they made this, like, pallet on the ground with, like, you know, just some blankets and stuff. And so I slept on the ground there in my parents' room. And uh, as I was drifting to sleep, I remember, I remember looking up, and I saw uh, this figure, and it was, a, it was a very bright, kind of glowing figure. I, I don't know who or what it was. I haven't seen anything like that um, before that moment, and I haven't seen anything like that since. But I remember seeing this glowing figure, and, uh, and then it kind of brought me peace. And so I fell asleep. And as I think back to that, to that memory, you know, I wonder, um, was that real? Like, like did that actually... Did that actually happen, or did I just dream it? Did I just kind of make the whole thing up in my head? And the question I had is, like, was that what I think it was? Was that, was that like an angel? And then uh, I had a friend in high school that um, he, uh, he was a really great artist. Uh, his drawings were actually featured in magazines. And the cool thing about his drawings were they were incredibly compelling. Um, they didn't look like real life, you know, from a standpoint of it didn't look like a picture that you took. Uh, but there was something about his drawings that just kind of drew you in, and it just felt kind of larger than life. His drawings were really good, but there was one drawing in, or a few drawings in particular that were more kind of dark. And uh, some of those drawings actually featured uh, demons in the drawing. And I remember asking him about it, and I said, hey, that, you know, your drawings are really good, but there's, but there's a few of these that, like, you got, you got demons in them. Like, what's, what's that all about? And he told me that he never drew anything that he hadn't actually seen before. And he later came to tell me that there would be nights when he would wake up and he could see uh, a demon in his room. And that the only way to get rid of this was to actually quote scripture. And that whenever he quoted scripture, whenever he read from his Bible, then it went away and he was able to get to sleep. And so as I think back to that, I wonder, like, is that real? Like, did that, did that actually happen? Did this guy actually see what he thought he saw? And for many of you, this may be the question that you're kind of wrestling with. And it's the question, do angels and demons actually exist? Like, like for real, like, like, do they really, really, really exist? Or is this, or is this something that we all just kind of made up? Because we're in this series and uh, in this series, Battlefield, the bottom line, you already know this. The bottom line is the struggle is real. And what that means is you've got a struggle. I've got a struggle. Maybe for you, it's your grades or your teachers or your best friend or your ex best friend or your ex girlfriend or whatever. And you got this like tension and this struggle and it's against your parents and like you feel it. Right. And so you've probably said or tweeted or texted the struggle or the struggle is real. And in this series, we've actually been coming around this truth that the struggle is not only real, but the struggle is spiritual. That beneath the surface, there's something else going on. There is an unseen reality that you and I 
don't really know too much about. And so when you struggle, it's not just against the person. It's not just against him. It's not just against her. And we even said this. We said, your enemy is not who you think it is. And so last week, we spent a significant amount of time talking about our enemy. uh, And we came around the conclusion that our enemy is real right? That we actually have a spiritual enemy and he's behind the scenes and he's underneath the scene and he's underneath all the struggles that you and I go through. But the truth is he is not the only unseen reality, that there's more. There's more than just our enemy that is unseen. And specifically, we're talking about angels and demons. Now, chances are when you think of angels and demons, you probably um, have in your mind maybe something like this picture right here. Um, this, uh, how many of you know uh, what this picture is actually from? Any, any, uh, any art nerds out there? Does anyone know? Okay, no one knows. It's cool. Uh, it's from the Sistine Chapel. It's from the Sistine Chapel. And uh, for the longest time, I didn't know that, and that was kind of news to me, because I thought it was just from my grandmother's bathroom. Um, Because she had this hung up, and maybe your grandmother has the exact same picture. I think that, like, grandmothers get together, and they say, this is what you need, okay? This is, like, the decor. You got to have it. And so growing up, whenever I thought of angels, I thought of this, right? I thought of like creepy, chubby babies with angel wings, right? That there's something kind of, there's something. And then like the thing I love about this is they don't really know what's going on, right? Like they're just kind of hanging out. They're looking, they're like, what's God going to do today? I don't know, but we're just kind of hanging out and we're a little overweight, but we're babies. So it's cool, but we're angels and we got wings, right? So this is maybe, maybe for you, what you think of when you think of angels. Now, maybe for you, when you think of demons, you might think of something like this, Annabelle, right? The conjuring, right? You ain't even scared. Whatever, bro. Whatever. I refuse to see those movies. They, they creep me out. Uh, my wife, Catherine, loves scary movies, though, so you should talk to her about that. I'm just kidding. She hates scary movies. Don't even mention them. She won't even look at the commercials when they come on, okay, because they're just too creepy. So maybe, maybe for you, when you think of demons, you think of something like Annabelle, right? Because there's nothing more demonic than a child play doll, right? Like, like, like this is, this by the way is how you ruin someone's childhood is you tell them like the doll they love to play with, it was possessed. Okay. So you tell them that and you've ruined it. You ruined it for them. Or maybe for you, the only interactions you've had with angels and demons is this right here, right? (laughs) That like when you're, uh, when you're feeling really innocent or you're feeling really good, then you do the little angel baby, which, uh, again, I want to make sure that we're all on the same page. Never use this. It's creepy, okay? It's creepy. Uh, and then this one, when you're feeling like like kind of, you know, kind of like, I'm going to do something. No one else is going to know, right? If you're scheming, that's probably the official emoji of the green team scheme team right there. So when you think of angels and demons, maybe, maybe this is what you think of. And, and, and because we've got all these crazy images of angels and demons, like from when, you know, from like movies and cartoons and, and, and all these different things, maybe for you, um, you just kind of laugh them off. Maybe for you, you're so caught up in your world with who am I going to date and this person's kind of interested, but I'm really interested in them and my parents and schoolwork. And so you're so busy with life that you don't even think about angels and demons. And you just kind of ignore it as if it doesn't actually exist. But the problem with that approach is that the Bible doesn't really allow that. Um, when you look at Scripture, there's actually more than half of the books uh, of the Bible actually mention angels and demons. They're all over the place. And so as you, as you study Scripture, you find out that angels and demons are real. 
And not only, not only are they real, but they have had a dramatic, and I mean dramatic, impact on the course of human history. In fact, human history as we know it has forever been changed because of the activities of angels and demons. So I want to show you just a few of them. These are, these are all from scripture. Some of these are going to be review. Um, but here's just a few examples of how angels have um, kind of changed the course of human history. Uh, so here's one. Angels told Mary and shepherds about Jesus' birth. And many of you know this, right? So Mary uh, was, was actually pledged to be married, uh, but she had not had sex. And then, surprise, you're pregnant, right? And so that was a little bit awkward for her. And uh, so she starts freaking out, not really knowing what to do. But then an angel actually delivered a message to her and said, hey, hey, don't freak out. Um, but you are going to have a baby, and it's actually God's baby. Kind of crazy. And then when the baby was born, uh, angels told the news. They gave the message to shepherds people that would have otherwise not known about Jesus. And the cool thing about that is when they delivered the message to the shepherds, the shepherds then delivered that message to a lot of other people. So if it had not been for the angels, the shepherds wouldn't have known and all the people that the shepherds talked to wouldn't have known about the birth of Jesus. And then here's the next one, kept Joseph from divorcing Mary. Um, you might not have known this, but uh, again, Joseph and Mary, they were like um, pledged to be married to one another. And uh, they actually did not have sex before being married. And so they were saving themselves for their waiting, uh, uh, wedding day. Uh, they were waiting. And then um, lo and behold, Mary's pregnant. And the baby's not his, right? And so things got a little awkward for Joseph, and he's a little upset. And she tries to tell him this stuff about God, and he's like, no, 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 whatever. There's really only one way to get pregnant, and I've taken sex ed, and I know what that is, okay? And so I know that you've cheated on me. And then this angel actually comes up to Joseph and says, hey, hey, uh, I got some news for you. Um, the baby isn't yours, and you already know that, but the baby is actually God's. Which, again, we're not going to kind of get into the description of how that actually works. But you got to trust me, the baby is actually God's. You need to stay with her. And so because of the message the angel delivered, Mary and Joseph stayed together. And imagine how different history would have been if Mary and Joseph, the mother and stepfather of Jesus, had split apart before he was even born. Angels dramatically changed the course of human history. Here's the next one. Strengthen Jesus when he was tempted. Uh, this is the part of the story that most people look over. Um, you probably know this, that Jesus was like tempted in the desert for 40 days, and he was really hungry because he hadn't eaten for 40 days. And then Satan himself came up to him and said, hey, you want some bread? And the answer obviously is yes, I'm hungry. But, but Jesus withstood that temptation and many other temptations. And once he was done, it says angels came to him and encouraged him. And so angels uh, changed the course of human history because they strengthened Jesus when he was tempted. Here's the next one. Explain the resurrection of Jesus to his disciples. Now, this is, this is so interesting because when Jesus was on earth, he told his followers multiple times. He said, hey, real quick, just so you know, um, I'm going to die, but don't worry because after I die, three days later, I'm actually going to be raised to life. And then a few weeks passed, and he came up to his disciples. He said, hey, I want to remind, uh, remind you real quick, uh, I'm going to die. But then after I die, three days, in fact, you can set your watch by it. Three days after I die, I'm going to come back to life. And then when it actually came time for Jesus to die, his disciples were distraught, and they thought that the end had come. And then three days after Jesus had died, the disciples went to the tomb. And lo and behold, the tomb was empty. But instead of thinking Jesus 
had been raised to life. They thought someone stole the body of Jesus. What are we going to do? I can't believe this has happened. And they all start freaking out. And it was angels that came to them and said, hey, time out. Remember how Jesus said he was going to be raised to life? That actually happened, okay? So they explained the resurrection. They were the very first people, or the first beings, rather, to explain the resurrection to the disciples. History dramatically changed. Here's the next one. I encourage disciples to start the church. I've told you this before, that when Jesus was like raised and he was in the sky, right? Like as he was um, being lifted up into the sky, he said, hey, just so you know, I'm going to be coming back. And they interpreted that to be, I'm going to take a snack and I'll be back in like five minutes. So they start like staring up at the sky and they're like, okay. Okay, like, should we... And they just kept watching the sky and they kept waiting for Jesus to come back. And then it's kind of funny because it says angels came and angels didn't appear in the sky like you would expect. They actually showed up on the ground right next to him, which I think is awkward because they're all like looking up at the sky. Oops, I unplugged something. Um, and, then, uh, and then they like sneak up behind him and they're like, hey guys, what you looking at? You waiting for something? And then finally they were like, hey, you know how Jesus went up there? He is coming back, but it's actually going to be a while. So I want you to go ahead and start the church. And the angels delivered that message. And it dramatically changed the course of human history. And then here's the last one. Free the disciples from prison and an earlier death. This is pretty cool. Uh, a guy named Peter that many of you have heard of. Um, instrumental in starting and continuing the church. He was actually chained to two Roman guards. There was a guard on his left and a guard on his right. He was chained to them. Uh, uh, one of the other disciples had recently been beheaded because of the fact that they were followers of Jesus. And they were getting ready to do the same thing to Peter. And by the way, this was, this was before, before Peter wrote First and Second Peter that we have in the Bible, and before he did many other things that were instrumental in the church. And as they were getting ready to kill Peter, an angel showed up, and the shackles fell off, and they freed Peter. And if they hadn't done that, the church as we know it would be totally different. We wouldn't have First and Second Peter in our Bibles. And so I'm telling you, angels showing up dramatically changed the course of human history, but they're not the only ones. So these are just a few examples of when demons actually showed up. I think it's the next one. Yeah. So uh, in 1 Timothy 4, it talks about the fact that they promote false teaching. People actually followed demons instead of following Jesus. People that had once committed to Jesus completely changed their mind, and they promoted false teaching. Here's the next one. They were the first to tell people that Jesus was the Son of God. Now, this is really interesting, okay? You might not have known this, but it wasn't actually a good guy that told people that Jesus was the Son of God. It was actually a demon. In fact, in, in uh, Mark 1, what happens is Jesus like just shows up on the scene. So he's still kind of introducing himself to people. And he shows up to a demon. And the demon starts freaking out. And he says, hey, hey, stay away. Hey, stay away, son of God. And he starts pointing at Jesus, which makes all the other people like, did, that, did he just say son of God? Who's that? Sure enough, the demons were the first to tell people that Jesus was the son of God, dramatically changing human history. The next one, scare the people in a town of uh, uh, Gadarenes. Now, this is really interesting. Jesus shows up. There's two people possessed by a demon. And so Jesus shows up and says, uh, I'm going to cast you out of these people. And the demon actually like begs him and says, can you just put us into those pigs? So he does. They go into the pigs. The pigs run off the cliff and die. And I'm talking tons and tons of bacon, okay? So the people of that town were not happy. You just took all our bacon, bro. So they came up to Jesus and they said, hey, Jesus, can you leave? 
because that was weird what happened, and now I don't have bacon with my eggs, okay? So can you please get out of here? Dramatically changing the course of human history. Who knows what Jesus could have done in that town had they not asked him to leave? Next one caused physical and mental ailments. You guys have probably guessed this or you've seen this in movies. Um, The next one kept Paul humble. Paul, a follower of Jesus, was actually kept humble by a demon. It says a messenger from Satan was tormenting him. And then finally, it divided the church. And this is the saddest one of them all, is that demons were responsible for many of the divisions that happened within the church. And in fact, there's still divisions that happen today in the church for that same reason. See, angels and demons have dramatically changed the course of human history. But the thing you and I need to know today is that they're not done. In fact, your life, whether you realize it or not, is dramatically influenced by angels and demons. And even though you may not see it, even though you may not feel it, there's something that's happening in your life and there's an impact that's being had underneath the surface, something spiritual. And so the question for today is this, what do you do? What do you do with the angels and the demons in your life? Because it's true that the struggle is real and and it's true that your enemy is real. And it's also true that angels and demons are real and there's significant impact in your life because of it. So what do you do? What do you do with the angels and the demons in your life? And this is the exact question that Paul was answering in Ephesians chapter 6. And so I want to look there together and focus specifically on what he says about angels and demons. So um, you should have a Bible. They should be like in your lap maybe. And if not, then you can grab one from up here or to the side. Go ahead, grab that. And we're going to look at Ephesians chapter 6 on page 1177, page 1177. Ephesians chapter 6. Page 1177. And, and, and uh, this, is, this is huge, by the way. There was a guy named Paul writing to a church that was struggling. Lots of people struggling. People struggling with their parents. People struggling with their friends, with their best friends, with their ex-best friends. And Paul wrote to remind them that there's something happening that they may not be aware of. There is a spiritual struggle that's beneath the surface. And so he starts off and he says this in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10. He says, finally, finally, in light of everything that I've just told you, okay, this is like the main idea. This is the main thing I want to tell you. I've, I've already written six chapters and now I'm getting to the end. And if you don't know anything else, this is what I want you to know. Be strong in the Lord. Be strong in the Lord. Now this, this, by the way, and I know you've heard it, those of you that have been here the past couple weeks, you've heard this a few times, but this is so true. And if you don't get anything else, I want you to know this. Your strength, your strength in the struggle is the Lord. And it will never and it can never come from anything else. And so when you are struggling, you have strength, but it's not from you. It's not from me. And it's not from the band, it's not from the songs that we sing. It's not from the games that we play. It's not from H12. It's not from your friends. Your strength in the struggle is the Lord and in his mighty power. And then Paul goes on and he explains exactly what that looks like. He says, so put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. And we talked about this last week, right? That Satan is a schemer, right? Just like you. He's scheming too. It's okay. It's okay. We're all in the same boat, right? He's scheming just like you're scheming. Only the main difference is the primary way, the primary way that he schemes is by lying. And then he goes on to the next verse. He says, for our struggle, he's saying, I want to remind you that your struggle, 
Your struggle is not against flesh and blood. So when you think it's him, or you think it's her, or you think it's your best friend, or you think it's the girl that you're dating, it's not her. It's not him. It's not your parents. Your struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the spiritual forces of evil. The spiritual forces, forces, which is plural, right? You have one enemy. You have one enemy, but you're struggling against spiritual forces. Forces is plural because here he's not just talking about Satan. He's not just talking about your enemy. He's talking about angels and demons. And so he's saying what you're struggling with is not flesh and blood. It's angels and demons. And so I think to understand truly what we're struggling against, we got to like understand what the actual word means. So um, I actually did some research. I found out that the word that we know is angel actually comes from a Hebrew word. And this is, this is that Hebrew word um, and it's malach. Okay. So we're going to say that together. But here's the deal. When you say malach, you got to mean the like spitting part at the end, right? It's like, it's like back here, like, like that, like you're getting ready to hock a loogie. But don't hock a loogie because then your buddy next to you is going to be so upset. And if you feel something wet on the back of your neck, ignore it, okay? Just ignore it. So let's try it together, okay? It's malach. One, two, three. Malach. That was good. Let's do that one more time. One, two, three. Malach. Nice. Hey, and now, now you know Hebrew. Look at you. You know Hebrew, it's so cool. Here's what malach actually means. It means messenger. And this is actually in your notes. This is right there in your notes. Malach actually means messenger. And demons, demons are known as fallen angels. And so to be a demon means you are a fallen angel, which means you are a fallen malach or a fallen messenger. And so both angels and demons serve the same purpose. And the purpose is that they are a messenger. In other words, their primary goal, the main thing that angels and demons are all about is delivering a message. That's all it is. And as you look at how angels and demons have dramatically influenced history, it's by one simple way, delivering a message. Angels deliver a message and demons deliver a message. In fact, this is probably not you, uh, uh, new to you, right? Like, like, you know, you know what it means to get messages, right? Like, like you've probably gotten messages from your parents. You've probably gotten messages from your friends, from like your best friend and the girl that you're dating. And you've gotten mess uh, uh, messages from like teachers and from coaches. You get messages on your phone. You get messages on Twitter. You get messages on Instagram. You get messages all over the place. So getting messages is not a new thing. But here's what's surprising that you may not have known. The average person, look at this, the average person gets at least 3,000 messages a day. That means every day, every day you're getting 3,000 messages. So maybe, maybe for you, you're getting a message from your teacher. Maybe you're getting a message as you walk into Chick-fil-A, right, that says eat more chicken. That's a message that they're trying to deliver to you. Everywhere you go, you're getting a message. And the average person, and I would argue that for teenagers, this number is even higher. That the messages that you are receiving on a day-to-day -day basis is above 3,000. 3,000 every single day, you're getting messages. 
And in fact, that day, 3,000 messages a day, that day is defined by what message you listen to. See, when I was uh, a sophomore, uh, a sophomore, junior in high school, I got, uh, I got these letters in the mail. And uh, I remember being a kid, and I, I, wanted, I wanted mail so bad. Uh, like, like, I wanted someone to send me a letter, and I would always complain to my parents. I was like, you guys get mail all the time, and I never get mail. And they would always tell me, trust me, you don't want our mail, okay? We're getting bills. You have to pay stuff. You don't want that mail coming to you. But I was still arguing, and I was like, I want mail, I want mail, I want mail. And then finally, when I was a sophomore and junior, my wish came true. And then I found out my parents were right, and I wanted it to stop. And some of you have experienced this, because every day you get about four different colleges that tell you they want you at their school, right? They just keep sending you stuff. And I remember, I remember when, I first, uh, when I first started getting these like pamphlets, I thought I was special. I was like, oh my gosh. <laughs> okay, the University of North Carolina just said, Steve, we want you at our college. They must have like known that I was in a band called Eighth Degree. They must have heard it somewhere, right? They must, they must be all about me. And then, and then I got another letter, right? And it's from Maryland. And I'm like, Maryland wants me to be at their school? Oh my gosh. And I got all these different mail. And then I realized that all my friends were getting the same ones. And I was not special. And maybe for you, I just burst your bubble a little bit because you thought you were the only one. Nah, bro. They send that to everyone, okay? Everyone gets all these different messages, all these different letters. And here's the deal. Here's the deal. The letter that I listened to, the message that I listened to was going to influence where, uh, where I would spend the next four years. Whatever letter I opened and said yes to was going to influence my next four years. And so as many of you know, Go dogs! I got a message from the University of Georgia, and uh, maybe it had a hot girl on the front. I don't know. I can't confirm nor deny it did. And so I was like, "Let me open this thing up. Let's see what UGA is all about." By the way, clever marketing, UGA. I get you. Okay. So I opened it up, and uh, I was sold. And so I said yes. And, and, and I did this, and I'm not recommending anyone in this room do this. Uh, UGA was the only school I applied to. Don't do that, okay? Don't put all your eggs in one. Apply to multiple places, but I was lazy, and I only applied to one. And thank goodness I got in. Otherwise, I guess I wouldn't have gone to college. So um, anyways, I applied. I got into UGA. I said yes to the message, and I spent my next four years there. And so sure enough, my next four years were dramatically influenced by the message that I listened to. But here's the deal. It wasn't just the next four years. Although it's true that the next four years I spent in Athens were great and I loved being at UGA, saying yes to that letter also affected what jobs I would have. In fact, it also affected who I would marry. See, I met my wife, Catherine, at UGA. And, and... I don't, like, I met her. Like, that's not that, like, aw, you know? It's like if I kissed her. Anyways, whatever. So, there we go. That's, that's appropriate. That's appropriate. <laughs> you meet people all the time, and you don't say aw. You know what I'm saying? Like, it's okay. So, uh, so I met her, and uh, had, I not, had I not gone to UGA, then we wouldn't be married. So, listen, listen. My decision of who I would listen to not only affected the next four years, it also affected who I would marry. 
And about three years ago, I started looking around for what church I wanted to work at. And I actually emailed my buddies from UGA, people I had roomed with at UGA. And there was one guy I emailed, and he said, if you're open to going anywhere in the country, and I was, and by the way, we were planning on um, moving to a different state entirely. We were getting ready to go there. And this guy emailed me back and said, um, if you're open to going anywhere in the country, the only church you should consider is 12 Stone. And had I not gone to UGA, we wouldn't have had that relationship. And had we not had that relationship, he wouldn't have emailed me back. And had he not emailed me back, I wouldn't be here today. And so, so not only did it affect the next four years, it affected my entire future. Because listen, the message, the messages you listen to will define the future you. The messages you listen to will define the future you. And this is always true, okay? When you listen to a message, it will have a dramatic impact on the future you. It will. Because, see, you and I are getting messages all the time. Some of the messages you're getting are actually from angels, and some are from demons. And I want you to listen. Both messages sound good. Both messages feel right. But one message is true, and one message is a lie. One message leads to life, and the other message leads to death. One message leads to fulfillment, the other message leads to emptiness. One message leads to joy, and the other message leads to sadness. One message leads to great reward, and the other message leads to great regret. And the messages you listen to will determine the future you. And this is the way it is every time. And I want to talk um, real quick about the difference between, between listening and hearing. Because the truth for us in the room is that um, you guys hear messages all the time, but that doesn't necessarily mean you listen to them, right? You've heard your parents say things, but you didn't actually listen, right? Like, like you've heard the voice and the sound of your parents talking and you have no idea what they said, right? Because there's a difference between hearing and listening. In fact, that's the reason, that's the reason I believe that many of you come to H12 week after week after week and yet nothing in your life is different. And you come week to week to week and you keep hoping that your life is going to get better. You keep hoping you're going to have more reward and less regret. You keep hoping you're going to have more joy and more peace. And you hear the messages. Like you've, you've heard them. You know what my voice sounds like. But are you listening? Are you listening? See, because the messages you listen to not the messages you hear, but the messages you listen to, the messages you lean into, the ones that you pay attention to and that you act on will define the future you. And this is why, this is why I spend time with the Lord every single day. This is why every morning, the first thing I do is I open up scripture and I read. It's because I need it. It's because I need to listen to the message that God has for me. See, my wife and I are uh, in the middle of a, of a process. We're actually, um, we're trying to buy a home, which is really awesome. <laughs> I won't, I won't. <laughs> okay. 
<laughs> you guys are silly. So, um, so we're in the middle of that process, and uh, for those of you that don't know, buying a home is a very long process. Like, it's not like you knock on someone's door, and you're like, hey, bro, I like your house. Can I have it? Uh, it doesn't work that way. You have to, like, look at all these different houses, and there's, like, search criteria set up, and there's, like, websites you go to, and there's forms that you sign, and then you got to, like, pay someone to make sure the house is what the people say the house is. That's called an inspection. And then you got to pay someone to let someone know or let you know how much the house is actually worth. That's called an appraisal. And you got all these documents and all these things that you got to do. But um, my wife and I are kind of in the middle of that process, and and we've lived in a one-bedroom apartment for the first, like, seven years of our marriage. Uh, so we're, like, we're really, by the way, we've lived in five one-bedroom apartments. And so we're, like, we're really, really good at, um, at moving. And we're also really good at living in 750 square feet, okay? So we're, like, we got that down on lock. But we're ready, ready for a house. So anyways, we've been looking, and it's a long process. But we're actually pretty far in to this process on one particular house. So it looks like it's going to happen, which is cool. And as we get closer and closer and closer to it, we keep getting more and more excited about it. In fact, uh, she and I were talking on the phone with our realtor, and I made a comment to her, and I said, um, we're so excited. We want to move into the house yesterday. Like, we're ready. You know, like, we're, like, when can we go? I'm already, like, packing stuff up. I want to go. In fact, we're getting so excited about it. And by the way, the house is beautiful. We love it. Uh, it's way bigger than where we're currently living. Um, but by the way, anything is bigger than 750 square feet, okay? So um, it's, it's not huge, but it's, it's bigger, and we like it, and it's awesome. And we've even started, like, doing some planning, too. So we've started picking out, like, wall colors and paint and stuff, and we're looking at, like, like, like redoing the kitchen and stuff. This is out of control. I don't know why you guys are saying baby room. That has nothing. Anyway, so... So, so, so we're looking, and, and, and like, the, like further down we get in this process, the more excited I'm getting. In fact, this is true. There are times that I'm working, but all I'm doing is thinking about the house. And, and there are times that I'm talking with Catherine, but all I'm doing is thinking about the house. And, and there are times that I'm praying and talking with God, but all I'm doing is thinking about the house. And I've noticed that the past couple days, um, I, I don't know how else to explain this, so I don't, uh, hopefully this makes sense. My heart has begun attaching itself to this house. And I've, I, I've started to become so um, all about this house that I'm beginning to find my joy in this house. I'm beginning to find my fulfillment in this house. This house is taking up all of my thought process and even my actions, what I'm doing day in and day out, are being affected and driven by this house. And there's, there's a word for that that Scripture uses, and it's called idolatry. And um, it may seem cute that like, oh, you care about the house, but the truth is my heart is, is beginning to, to love this house more than I should. And, uh, and it, was a, it was a few days ago, and I was, um, I was sitting down, and I was spending time with the Lord because I need that every day. And I've been reading through Psalm, um, the Psalms, and I'm on Psalm like 140 something. And I got to Psalm 144. And this is the verse that I read. And it said, man is like a breath. His days are like a passing shadow. And when I read that verse, it, it was like the words leaped off the page to me. 
And, and it might not leap off the page to you, so I want to put it, this is kind of what I felt like God was saying through that verse. That house is like a breath. Your home is like a passing shadow. In other words, God was saying, Steve, I know that your heart is attaching to this thing. I know you want to find all your joy in that. I know you want to find all your hope in that. I know you want to find all your fulfillment in that, but it's a breath. It's a shadow. It's four walls and a roof. It's not your hope. It's not your joy. In fact, Steve, if I wanted to ruin that house, I could in a second. I could send a tornado and it doesn't matter what you do to that kitchen. It's gone. Okay. I could do that if I wanted to. That house is not your everything like you're making it to be. And in that moment, I realized there were two messages that I was getting. One message was your house is everything and that house is awesome. And you need to keep planning and keep thinking and keep loving and keep being all about that house because that house defines you and it gives you worth and it gives you value and it makes you awesome. And then the other message that I received was from God where he says that house is a shadow. It's a breath. And I am your everything. And I, God, give you worth. And I give you value. And had I not been spending time with the Lord reading scripture, I would not have heard that message. And look, I don't, I don't know if, if, uh, if the message of like me loving the house was from a demon, maybe, maybe. And I don't know if, if, if this verse was from an angel, it could have been. But I know this, I know this. I get more than 3,000 messages a day. But the ones I listen to are the ones that define me. And so here's, here's the question for tonight. What message are you listening to? What message are you listening to? Because there are messages going out. And that is the primary purpose of angels and the primary purpose of demons is to deliver messages to you. But which ones are you listening to? Not which ones are you hearing? Which ones are you listening to? Which ones are you leaning into? Which ones are you living your life by? And I, I, I wanna talk specifically to the people in the room that have accepted Christ and you're like committed and you're following after Jesus. Um, if that's not you, by the way, if you're like, if you're new to this whole thing, or maybe this is your first time to age 12, or, 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 or you're trying to figure out what the whole God and Jesus thing is all about, that's cool, man. We're glad that you're hanging out with us. This is actually not for you. So the cool thing is you get to listen to this. You can apply it if you want to. You don't have to, though. Um, you can just make fun of the rest of us because we have to apply this, okay? So those of us that are committed to following after Jesus, you've got to spend time reading Scripture. This is like, this is a non-negotiable. If you, if, if you love Jesus and you want to know more about him, you got to read scripture because you're getting messages from all over the place. And if you're not tapping into the one message that matters most, you're going to listen to the wrong message. And so for those of you that, that are following Jesus, this is, this is my challenge to you. It's just for this week, just for this week. I want you... We're gonna show it up on the screen. I want you to read five minutes every day. Just five minutes. By the way, everyone has five minutes in their day. Okay, you can you can read five minutes before you go to Chick-fil-A. You can like read five minutes right before you go to school in the morning. You can read five minutes right when you get home. Just five minutes. Like 
And here's what I'm telling you, don't go crazy on this. Don't try to read an hour tomorrow. Don't just chill out, just five minutes. Just try to do five minutes every day. And uh, a lot of people ask me like, well, where do I begin? Where do I start? Here's what I would say. Uh, even if you have an idea of where you wanna start, I would argue this just for this week, read Ephesians. Just read Ephesians, five minutes every day. And um, the cool thing is if you read five minutes every day, you'll probably read about a chapter a day. Ephesians has six chapters in it. And so if you read five minutes every day, then you'll actually get through it by next Tuesday and then next Wednesday you can reread Ephesians 6 because we're gonna be talking about Ephesians 6 next Wednesday. And so this is, this is by the way, this is the, the letter that we've been reading the past couple weeks. We've been reading in Ephesians and I think it'd be a good idea for you to lean into that. And then when you read, this is important, you can't just read. If you just read, um, I don't think it's gonna have the impact that God wants it to have in your life. Um, so read five minutes every day and then I want you to ask two questions and I want you to answer these honestly. Number one, what does this say about God? What does this say about God? And number two, what does this say about my life? See, when I was reading Psalm 144, um, it says that uh, his, his days are like a shadow. Uh, they're like a breath. What that teaches me about God is that my God is eternal. My God is not a shadow. He is not a breath. He is the real deal. And other things fade, but he stands eternal. Which means if I lean on him and if I depend on him and I trust in him and I pay attention to him, I'm leaning on something that's not gonna fade. That's what it taught me about God. And then finally, what does this say about my life? I already told you guys, this was God telling me I'm eternal, that house is not. That house is a fleeting shadow and it's good, sure but it's not your everything. It's not your hope. And maybe for you, maybe for you, even that verse speaks to you. Maybe God's saying to you, she's not your everything. He's not your everything. And so this is what I want you to do. Read five minutes every day, every day, and ask these two questions. What does this say about God? And what does this say about my life? Because we're getting messages from all over the place. 3,000 messages, probably more. And the messages you listen to will define the future you. So what message are you listening to? Let me pray for you. God, I, uh, I love you. And I am like, I'm not okay without you. And on my own, I listen to messages all the time that I know I shouldn't. And on my own, I make mistakes and I lean into things that just aren't true. And they're lies that I wanna believe. So God, I, I need your truth. I don't know what I would do if, 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 if it weren't for your word every morning. <laughs> I'd be so lost, I'd be so confused. My life would be wrecked without that. God, I need that time. I need that time. And so I pray for the students in this room that have not made that a priority. I ask that you would do that this week. That even just five minutes every day, just five minutes, they would lean into what you have for them. And they would listen. And they would ask honestly, God, what does this say about you? And what does this say about my life? I pray that as they dedicate that time 
to reading scripture, that you would meet them where they are. God, we need you. So now as we worship you, as we sing to you, would we even listen to the words of this song and would that be a message that we listen to? Not just a message we hear. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for loving us. And I ask that these students would listen to you. In Jesus' name.